Well, the purpose of Sunday morning worship is to gather under God's Word, so that's what we're going to do right now. I encourage you to have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible, I encourage you to take a free one from the back. We've got a pile of them. That's our gift to you today. Uh, we're going to dive right into things. Last week, we talked about the composition of Jesus' ministry. So Matthew introduces a large chunk of his gospel uh, with chapter 4, verse 23, which shows us what the bulk of what Jesus is doing uh, between chapters 4 and through chapters 10. So you see this in 423. It says, he went through all Galilee. This is talking about Jesus teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so we saw that the primary practices of Jesus' ministry uh, would be preaching the gospel, would be teaching people how to follow him, and healing those who are sick and afflicted. And to be honest, we opened up quite a big can of worms last Sunday. Now, this, this was expected. We, we do talk a lot about preaching and teaching at Mercy House as responsibilities of the church, but we really have never spent a lot of time talking about healing. So if you've never heard a sermon on healing or if you weren't here last week, I do encourage you to listen to that sermon. It's on our podcast. You can use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever. Search for Mercy House, one word, and then you'll find it. You'll be able to listen to it. Um, I, I, I want to say, though, as a follow-up um, to last week, there's a little reverb. Can you turn it down just a hair, Abhishek? Maybe only I can hear that, but I do want to just say that as a follow-up, I know that it can be difficult to talk about healing uh, for some of us in this room specifically. Um, and, and not because it's weird. We kind of addressed that last week, but because some of us have prayed. Some of us have been pleading. Some of us have been waiting for the Lord to intervene miraculously, and we still have not seen it happen yet. Or maybe even harder yet, we've prayed, we've pleaded, and we've waited, and God definitively did not show up in a certain situation in our lives. And so I want you to know, uh, as a church, like if this is you, uh, if, if you are confused or frustrated or burdened by this idea of praying for healing, just know that you're not alone in that. This is not something that comes instantly or easily. And I would encourage you to process these things with one another. I think a great place to do this is our midweeks on Wednesdays. We have two opportunities to do that. One's at 6 p.m. right here at the building. One's at 7 p.m. in South Hadley as well. The reason is whatever reason that God has for not answering our prayers for healing, whether that's from a lack of faith or because God's using that affliction somehow for the good of the one who is afflicted, those are hardly things that we ought to be wrestling through by ourselves. And so hear the invitation for us to do this as a church, to lean into this together, not to pull back, not to withdraw. I think what happens there is we can grow bitter, we can grow a little bit resentful when God does and answer prayers, and then that leads to even more skepticism and even greater doubt. As you're reading the Bible, the God of the Bible is one who does have the power and the authority over every body, every mind, every soul. And so our prayer as your leaders is that we as a church would grow in our awareness of this reality of who God is, but also our reliance on God in these areas of our lives. And that's something that we really should be done together if we want to grow in these things as a church. Now, that sermon on healing was not a one-off. Uh, any more than those verses that we covered about healing were the only ones 
that covered healing in the Bible. In chapters five through seven, we see Jesus preaching and teaching, and, and you'll notice that we're actually skip, skipping those this morning, and not because we have anything against the Sermon on the Mount, but because we just did a whole sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount this summer, and if you didn't hear those, please check those out on our podcast. But Jesus takes time to preach and to teach, and here he, has, here he is at it again in chapter eight uh, in his well-rounded ministry, which includes uh, more healing. So in, chapters, uh, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, what we're going to read this morning are three occurrences of healing. And what's great about these passages is that we get a lot of details. Where last week we kind of looked at Jesus' heal- healing ministry from a 30,000-foot macro view of things. This morning we're going to sit right front and center in the first recorded instances of Jesus doing some miraculous healing. And the three things you're going to see this morning that I want to talk about are the testimony of healing the accessibility of healing, and the purpose of healing. So the testimony of healing, the accessibility of healing, and the purpose of healing. Before we jump into verse 1, let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks healing and life. We thank you that your word is powerful. We pray, God, that as we have seen a testimony of your powerful word, uh, at work in some of the lives of the people in our church, that we would continue to see that happen, uh, even here this morning as we read and hear and study your word together. Father, we need your help to do this, so please give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts, God, that are soft enough to receive what you would have for us this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anybody, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, the first person that Jesus heals during his healing ministry that we get to see really close up is not an easy case to take on. So leprosy, if you don't know anything about it, leprosy is an infectious skin disease. They had no known cure during the time of Jesus. Leprosy attacks a person's skin uh, and, and, and their nervous system. And when it's left untreated, it would eventually lead to the crippling of the hands, crippling of the feet, all the way to paralysis and complete blindness. It was a terrifying disease. And it was terrifying mostly because there was no cure for it. There was no way to treat it. That's why people who had leprosy were actually referred to as the living dead because they were as good as dead. It was just a matter of time before that would happen. The worst part of the disease wasn't even the physical symptoms of the disease, which themselves are awful and horrifying. But what was worse was the social and the religious symptoms, not just the physical So those who had leprosy would be quarantined uh, apart from everybody else because what they had was incredibly contagious, which meant that they could not live in the villages and towns. They, They couldn't be where everyone else was. They had to live on the far outskirts, away from all of the rest of their community. So not only uh, could they not be with their friends and their family, they were actually ceremonially unclean as well, which meant that they wouldn't be able to come to the temple to worship God. Now, we experienced a tiny sliver of this during COVID. 
for just like a few months or a couple years. I can't remember how long it was, but we experienced this, and many of us are still sorting through the heavy toll that that experience had on our mental, our physical, our spiritual, our emotional health today. So I want you to imagine for a second being quarantined for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. No contact with family. No contact with friends. No meaningful contact with any human. Permanent social distancing. And then no contact with your church. No ability to worship and commune with God. Not even mentioning the painful disease itself that is slowly destroying your body and bringing you closer and closer to being crippled, to being paralyzed, blind, and dead. There is nothing that you can do about it. It's not dramatic that you would say for someone who had leprosy that they were a dead person walking. That was their reality. Now, with all this context, to say that what happens in these verses uh, is incredible would actually be an understatement to what's happening. This is something that had never been seen before. And it's not just talking about the healing that is the crazy part. Before we jump to the part where it says, and immediately the leprosy was cleansed there at the end of verse 3, before Jesus even gets a word out, something completely shocking happens in verse 2. It says, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lepers were such outcasts and seen as so spiritually defiled that anyone who came into their vicinity, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so that others would know. And what they meant when they said that was, stay away from me. You don't want to have what I have. I am defiled. You don't want to catch this curse. Yet here, we have a leper approaching Jesus. Now, he appears to do so humbling, kneeling before Jesus. Whether that's out of worship or reverence, it's not quite clear. But what is clear is that this took some radical courage. This took some faith. 100% of everyone else in the world who this leper would approach would have rebuked him and then run headlong the other direction. Yet here's this man coming before Jesus, likely not knowing everything about Jesus, maybe not even knowing the gospel quite yet, but approaching him nonetheless simply because he had a basic shred of faith in the power and the authority of Jesus. That is all it takes to approach Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning and you even have a sliver of belief that Jesus might be who he says he is in his word, a morsel of faith that he actually might be God, I would encourage you to approach him, to knock on that door and to see if and how he responds. I want to encourage you to think like a leper, like what have you got to lose? Literally nothing. But you have everything to gain. Notice the words of the leper here in verse 2. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper is not saying do you have the ability to clean me? He's not saying, how much does it cost? Or what do you need from me in order to be clean? He's not saying, Jesus, is there anything that I can do to get you to kind of do this parlor trick? No, he's just saying, Jesus, if you want to, you can make me clean. It's not even a request. There's no question mark there. 
And this is where the man's basic faith is on display. He believes that Jesus has the power and the authority to cleanse him. And he just declares it. Now, in all my conversations this past week, after preaching on healing last week, uh, what I've realized is that, is that this is the common point of tension uh, for m- lots of people in our community. What I've seen is there's a very wide range of faith in the power and the authority of Jesus as it relates to our physical and our emotional well-being of people. And so I just want to acknowledge this to you that y- you are not like a bad Christian if you struggle to believe that Jesus can heal. No one is, is going to um, experience l- like less salvation if they can't get their heads around how Jesus can heal. And so I want to encourage you to be honest about this. I think this is one way that we can grow. And, and, and we do this by pressing into the skepticism or the doubt. Not of avoiding and saying, you know what, healing isn't really like my thing. But actually having a posture of, I, I do believe God, help my unbelief. That's Mark 9, 24. Because those who place their basic faith in Christ, those who act on that little morsel of belief, they are not put to shame. Look at verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, the second most shocking thing after the leper's courage to approach Jesus is that Jesus didn't run away. Instead of recoiling away from the leper's disease and sickness, instead of turning away from the horror of this affliction and the uncleanliness of the leper, Jesus does the absolute unthinkable. He stretches out his hand and he touches the leper. Now, we do not have an equivalent for this today. There would have been a collective gasp from every single human being that saw this. Like, everyone would have been bug-eyed. They would have been holding their breath, wondering, what is happening? What is Jesus doing? Because you don't do this. You don't touch a leper. Medical physicians at the time didn't do this. Religious healers at the time didn't do this. The man's own family didn't touch him. Again, this is more. This is about more than the disease. The leper embodies complete rejection. Rejection from society, rejection from religion, rejection from their own family. Yet with Jesus, he is not only having someone who would acknowledge his existence, but someone who bent down to do what no one else on the face of the earth would do, which is to place a tender hand on him in his affliction. And Jesus is not merely demonstrating his authority over disease and sickness. Of course, this shows us that Jesus isn't afraid of leprosy, but this moment in Jesus' ministry is meant to illustrate more than just Jesus' resilience to pestilence. The physical disease of leprosy is a perfect understanding for our spiritual state as it relates to sin. Sin is something that infects us, it defiles us, it makes us unclean, it separates us from God, it isolates us from Him. Sin spiritually and physically breaks us down, crippling us, causing numbness in our extremities, leading to paralysis and inevitably killing us. And most of the Jewish community of God's people looked at the leper and they said, thank God that's not me. But if they had a correct understanding of their spiritual state, they would have looked at the leper and said, I am just like that leper. Paul recognizes this. He recognizes it when he writes Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which which you once walked. This moment 
in Jesus' ministry isn't about skin diseases. It is about a God who cannot be kept away from his people. What we see here is that Jesus is the most approachable person in the world. Mercy House, I don't know what sin or brokenness prevents or you think that prevents God from being able to interact with you. I don't know what sin is in your life that induces that self-imposed quarantine. When we, we do this to ourselves, where we place ourselves in timeout, we withdraw from God and we withdraw from community. But if we see nothing else in these verses, we must see that there is no sin that is too egregious where God will not respond to us. There is no condition where we are too vile, too disgusting, too just ugly or offensive in our sin that will keep our beloved God away from us. There is no moment where you exercised poor judgment, no moment where you consciously rebelled and did what you knew was wrong. There's no fit of rage. There's no perverted lust. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. No power of hell, no scheme of man. If this man that we're reading about, who's walking around in rotting dead flesh, can't be kept from God, can't keep God away, then there's nothing in your life that you've done or that you failed to do that will cause God to re coil away from you. Approach him, brothers and sisters. Approach him boldly, confidently, with faith, and he will respond. Look at verse 3. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, there's a difference between healing and cleansing. And the language that the leper uses and that Jesus uses is intentional. What the leper was asking for was not just a physical healing, but a spiritual restoration. One that would allow him to be among his friends, his community, and his God. And that's exactly what God gave him. Not just a physical cure for his leprosy, but a complete restoration to wholeness. And then he's told to go. It might seem strange that he says to not tell anyone about this, but what's actually happening there is it's the law. The law is what's requiring him to be declared unclean by the high priest, which then would have enabled him to then be in community and talk with other people. And so this is a little bit ironic because Jesus himself is the great high priest. But what this does show us is that Jesus loves the law. He didn't come to abolish it. He didn't come to work around it, but he came to fulfill it. Chapter 5, verse 17 of Matthew. And here's the testimony of healing. That's the first point. I want you to see that Jesus heals this man and then sends him on a mission. It's a long trip to Jerusalem. He is not healed to be sent back to the leper camp. That would be unfitting. He's not healed to remain in isolation. He's healed to, to then be sent to testify to that healing. That's the proof. That's that word there. He, he's showing that to the priest. Another word for that is his testimony. So we are healed to testify to the work of Jesus in our lives. That's what we just heard all morning. Five people who were as good as dead, they were walking dead, who then experienced miraculous healing, and not just a physical restoration of their lives, but a spiritual revival of their souls. 
They did not experience that and just go back to their lives. They shared proof of that spiritual resurrection in their lives with all of us this morning. They shared their testimony of how God had healed them. Mercy House, our testimonies are not only to be shared on the days that we get baptized or at a, a Mercy House um, membership event. They are to be shared all the time. Our testimony is a proof that God touched us in our unapproachable state, that he brought us back from life and restored us from head to toe back to him. And the testimony is something that should be told on repeat until the day that we face him face to face. Amen? Two more cases that I want to get through. I, I, I hope what you're seeing is that God's healing is about more than just the physical. Now, we don't want to over-spiritualize it. We don't want to just gloss over the fact that God does provide real, tangible, practical healing into the lives of all these people. But know, as you're reading about healing in the Bible, that we are not merely physical beings. We are spiritual beings, and that is what these physical healings are pointing to. Look at verse 5. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now where a lot of the healing that we're seeing and talking about is on our own behalf, approaching God about our own healing, whether that's physical or spiritual, this here is different. What's happening in these verses is that there's a centurion. That's a commander of 100 soldiers. The centurion comes to Jesus, but he's not coming to Jesus for himself. He's coming on behalf of one of his servants. Now, this already gives us some information about who this centurion is. We see some overlapping themes of faith and belief, which we saw before in the leper, but we'll get to that in a moment. The main thing that I want to draw your attention to is his compassion, his compassion. A Roman centurion was someone who was well off. They had power and wealth to match the authority that was given to them. And so servants, to put it very bluntly, were expendable. And he certainly had the means to replace this servant. And so this isn't just a, hey, Jesus, my car isn't working right now. Can you fix it type of situation? What's implied by this man going out of his way to go find Jesus, then fight through the crowds to get to Jesus, then plead on behalf of his servant, it implies that there is a relationship there. The servant isn't just an expendable pawn or, or a useful commodity, but a person, a friend. Brothers and sisters, we are called to use our faith, not just for ourselves, but to use our faith to appeal to Jesus on behalf of other people, out of compassion, out of love, out of care for those who are in our lives. If you're an employer, if you're a supervisor, if you have people working under your authority, let this ring out in your ears. Like, let this challenge you to consider how are you blessing those who serve under your leadership? But we are all called to go out of our way to spend our time and our resources to serve one another. And one of the best ways that we can do this is to bring one another's burdens to the Lord in prayer. 
And so a question that we ought to ask ourselves is how can we make this a more regular part of our lives? The centurion is doing this for his friend, but something peculiar happens. Uh, Jesus says, sure, I'll come by your house and I'll heal your servant. But then the centurion replies, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Now that's a little strange. The centurion is like, look, I, I know how this works. So he looks at Jesus and he says, I know that you have power and authority. And, and I too have some uh, ability to command people around. I, I understand what authority I have and what little I do have. I can use my words and command and make things happen. And in the same way, you too can do this, God. Now, it was a big deal that Jesus touched the leper in these previous verses, but we can't mistake that as the fact that he needed to touch him in order to heal him, right? Jesus didn't need to do that. God's power and his authority are limitless. God spoke creation um, into existence with a word. Hebrews 1.3 says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Powerful faith does not need to be complex. Let me say that again. Powerful faith does not need to be complex. Here it is, and it doesn't need to know the details. He doesn't give any expectations for how that ought to look like to Jesus. He's like, look, I don't even need to see it. (laughs) Mercy House, our prayers for one another don't need to be long and complicated. We can pray like this centurion to God and just say to God, Lord, say the word and my friend will be healed. So if you're caught up in praying for healing because you're not sure what to say or how to say it or even what to ask for. Let this be a model for us. Pray for basic needs with simple faith. We don't need to overcomplicate it. The centurion surely does not. And he gets praised for it. He gets mighty praise for it. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Can you imagine saying something that makes the God of the universe marvel? I certainly have never done it, I'm pretty sure. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east to west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out into, sorry, thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, he said, go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Here is the accessibility of healing. Second point. The centurion is not Jewish. He's a soldier of the Roman army. That is the oppressive invading force to the Jews. And Jesus uses this moment to communicate God's heart that the gospel is not just for the ethnic people of Israel, but it goes out, it will go out to all the nations, to all the tribes, to all the tongues. So there's a sharp judgment here for the Jewish people, that biological lineage is not the way that we receive the gospel. In fact, Jesus says he hasn't seen this caliber of faith from any of the Jewish people that he's interacted with. Faith is not something that is inherited. It is not inherited. That's what we saw in the baptisms earlier this morning. Each person shared how they responded individually to the gospel. 
Jesus says in verse 11, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Boy, even this morning, that small snapshot of the kingdom of people being baptized, I mean, from the east to west, there's a large array of people who have experienced the gospel, and that is a fulfillment of what Jesus is saying here. The healing work of Jesus both physical and, more importantly, spiritual, is not limited to the people of Israel. It's for everyone who would approach Jesus and ask for healing by faith. Jesus takes this as a teaching moment for everyone around him. He praises this centurion. He reminds everyone of the trajectory of this gospel that has already been articulated in the Old Testament for us. And then he... uh, It reminds us that it's going out to all the nations. Then he says in second half of verse 13, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So in the healing of the leper, we see the testimony of healing. Here with the centurion, we see the accessibility of this healing. That's for all people of all nations, tribes, and tongues. And lastly, in, in these final verses, we see the purpose of healing, the purpose of healing. Verse 14, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. So the testimony of every Christian is one of miraculous healing. We were all once walking dead. We were vile and repulsive in our sin, yet God, out of great compassion, did not recoil from us, but approached us. He healed us by the power of his word, and that those who are healed, as we've seen it in these passages, we testify to that healing. We bring others to Jesus so that those who are brought can also experience healing. And people who have been healed bring others to Jesus. But then we also see this in Peter's mother-in-law, verse 15. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Christians are healed to serve Christ. We are not healed to go back about our daily routines We are not healed to go back about um, our isolation that we were living in with those who were defiled and unclean and the former ignorance of our sin that we too were once dead in. Hospitals discharge healthy patients. You don't hang around a hospital if you're doing well. When we are healed by Jesus, when we have been restored and made whole physically and spiritually, we're brought into the community of others who have been healed. And then together with our time and with our resources, with our gifts, we follow and we serve God. We worship God as a joyful response of gratitude and thanksgiving for all that he's done, but also simply just to delight in God who we now can actually be in the presence of. The leper was restored in his flesh. He was restored in his relationships to his family and his friends. But he was also, most importantly, restored to be able to enter into the house of the Lord and worship and commune with God. That is full restoration. And that's the purpose of our complete healing as Christians, being brought from death to life. We are healed to worship and serve our God. 
Now, these three healings are just the tip of the iceberg in terms of Jesus' healing ministry. A few close-ups to help us understand what's happening. Matthew tells us in verse 16, right at the end there, that that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. As with much of the gospel accounts already, Matthew reminds us that Jesus' ministry is on pace with what God said he would do. The scripture reference here is from Isaiah 53, and that is a peculiar reference because it doesn't really, really seem like Jesus is taking anything on himself. He's healing everyone. He's casting out demons. So why is Matthew bringing up this reference? I think this, in part helps us understand the nature of Jesus' healing. This is not merely him doling out healing to people. We were talking about this at midweek this past week. Like, how do you think that they would bring some order to this chaos and like maybe make it more efficient? Like maybe they line up all of the sick people in two lines and Jesus runs down and just like, you know, taps all of them like really quickly so it, it can be done in an efficient way. That's not what is happening here. From what we see, each instance of healing is uniquely personal. It's weighty for Jesus. It is exhausting. He's probably doing this all night. It's not just emotionally taxing. Remember, we, we talked about how Jesus is fully human, that he has the full experience of exhaustion and weariness. But we see later on that, that there is a physical toll that this takes. If you read Luke 8, we see that Jesus feels power coming out of him as he heals people. And all this to say, I think Matthew is using this Isaiah reference to liken Jesus' healing ministry to the, uh, the, his healing ministry of the, the bearing of these physical ailments to the future bearing of the weight and sin and the suffering that he would endure on the cross, which is what we remember each week as we take communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. We remember when we take communion that our healing came at a price. Jesus doesn't just approach us in our sin and, un and our uncleanness. He takes that sin and that uncleanness onto himself. He takes on every sin, every spot of defilement, every piece of offensiveness and repulsiveness, and he bears the ultimate experience of being completely unapproachable so that we don't have to. Isaiah 53 says this. I want to read a couple of extra verses for context. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Mercy House, if you have been healed, 
then testify to that healing. If you have been healed, carry others to the one who can heal. If you have been healed, serve the Lord, your healer, and your God. And if you've been healed, remember, it is because of Jesus' death. It is because of his wounds on the cross that made it possible for all of us to be healed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be healed. Thank you for looking on us and not turning up your nose or turning your head away, recoiling away in horror and fear because of our brokenness, our defilement, our sin. But you approach us, God. You have knelt down. You have not only acknowledged our existence, God, acknowledged us in our brokenness, but you have taken our brokenness on yourself. God, help us to consider what this means. Lord, help us to see that when we are cleansed, we truly are cleansed from head to toe. Lord, help us to walk in that newness of life, God. We thank you for the beautiful illustration in baptism that helps us see how we have been washed, God, from head to toe. As we step out of that water, we are completely cleansed, not just healed, but cleansed, God. And so help us now live out the reality of what we've experienced in you, God, in the restoration of relationships with our brothers and sisters, the restoration in, in our relationship with even ourselves and our own flesh, God, and the restoration that we experience, Lord, with you. Lord, help us this morning as we receive communion, uh, to, to see that this meal is possible because of what you've done for us, God. Lord, we love you so much, Lord. I pray that we as a church will continue growing in our ministry of preaching the gospel, of teaching people how to follow you, uh, but also of bringing people to you for healing God, both physical, emotional, and spiritual God. We love you so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>